I kind of took the, the view from very early on that I was kind of basing my furniture business on a fashion business because I have my ready to wear, which are my product to order, my kind of couture, which are my one-offs and my design for others, which is, you know, is, is how fashion houses traditionally were built on. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me every Tuesday and Friday when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice on making in the UK. Let's crack on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Make It British podcast. I'm back to normal this week. I had originally planned to have two podcast episodes for you last week, but due to the upheaval I have um, at home where I record my podcast because I've got builders in and they haven't finished, um, I was unable to record anything for you last week. But we're back to normal this week. Two shows again this week. I've got an interview for you today and a solo show, which I've not done for ages, which will be back on Friday. And I'm going to be talking about sustainability in UK manufacturing. So on today's episode, I am interviewing furniture designer Katie Walker. Now, Katie, she studied furniture at college back in the 90s and she was at the Royal College of Art. She has her own business making furniture in the UK ever since she graduated. She's got three sides to her business. Firstly, there are the iconic pieces, which she is so well known for, which sell directly to the public and also via her website. But she also makes his one makes one off pieces to order and does collaborations with other businesses like John Lewis and Heels. Now, Katie holds a design guild mark as well for her furniture, which is a mark of quality, which is awarded by the Furniture Makers Company to recognise design and innovation within the UK furniture industry. So I am delighted to have her on the show. But before we get into the interview with Katie, I just wanted to give you a few facts and figures about the UK furniture manufacturing industry that you might not be aware of. So according to the British Furniture Confederation, the manufacturing of furniture in the UK is worth £11.8 million. And that figure is on the rise, which is brilliant to hear. And the BFC say that one, the furniture is one of the top three growing manufacturing industries in the UK, which is fantastic. There are currently 8,489 companies in the UK making furniture. So the British Furniture Confederation really know their stats. And according to them, there are 120,000 people directly employed in furniture manufacturing here in Britain. And if you include people in the wider furniture industry, so those people involved in things such as design and selling of furniture, there are 320,000. So that's a lot of people 
in the furniture industry in the UK. Now, when we talk about the furniture industry, it encompasses quite a diverse range of different products. So not just furniture itself, but also furnishings and things like beds and mattresses. And not all of the furniture industry is sold directly to the end consumer. In fact, there are three subsectors of the industry. So firstly, you've got the domestic market. So that's the furniture which is sold for public use, the stuff that you and I buy to fill our homes. Secondly, you've got contract furniture. So that is the sort of furniture that is made for public spaces like hotels, schools, hospitals, restaurants, that sort of thing. And finally, you have office furniture. So that's anything you would find in the workplace. Obviously, there's quite a bit of crossover within these three different subsectors. But the furniture industry as a whole suffers from many of the same challenges that other UK manufacturing industries face at the moment. So the loss of skilled workers over the last few decades and the difficulty of attracting young people into the industry as well as how to make the industry more sustainable and how to incorporate the circular economy into its design and manufacture. Now, Katie Walker is an interesting designer because she has worked in the industry for over 25 years and she has worked across all of these different subsectors. I'm going to pop some images of Katie's beautiful, stunning furniture into the show notes for this podcast, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash 078. Now over to the interview with Katie. So hello, Katie. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're the first furniture designer I've had on the podcast. That's exciting. Yeah, that's great. How, how did you get into furniture? Where did it all start? Okay, so yes, um, I came from a fine art background, really. Um, I was always torn between sculpture and architecture. Um, so after studying a foundation, I did furniture and related product design at Ravensbourne mm-hmm. um, and then went on to specialise at furniture at the Royal College of Art. Ah, you were at the Royal. Right. Great. Yeah, it was, a, it was quite a good um, three colleges, really. Kingston, Ravensbourne and, and the RCA. So, yeah, couldn't really do better. And then when you when you left college, were you sure that you wanted to set up your own business or did you get approached by people to work as a designer designing furniture? Because I would imagine that a lot of furniture designers leave college and get, um, you know, end up in big corporate jobs designing for, you know, big retailers. Yes. Did you always want to work for yourself? Yeah, well, when I was younger, I, I sort of always dreamt of going to Italy and, and <laughs> you know, working my way up through an Italian furniture company. Um, that was kind of, you know, the, the thing to do in the 80s. Um, mm. But during my time at the RCA, my first commission was actually to do a piece of public um, seating for um, Bushy Park um, in Teddington opposite um, Hampton Court Palace. Um, oh, really? I, ah. Yeah, I grew up in Teddington. Not far from me. Yeah, I grew up in Teddington and, um, and I spent a lot of time in the parks and I needed a, a funded commission for my major piece because it's quite expensive you know paying for everything during college um so I'm not I can't exactly remember how it came about but um I think it's the parks department of English heritage commissioned me to do a um large outdoor seating piece Um, is it still there it is still there actually well I say that it was 
a year or so ago because we, we went to check that it was still okay and it's not doing too badly. Really solid oak boards on um, zinc-plated steel uh, kind of cantilevered structure and it is still there. So I've got to go back again. But um, yeah, apart from the odd bit of graffiti, it was fine. <laughs> so yeah, that was really good. But because that was one of my major pieces, it was exhibited out on the forecourt outside the, the Royal College. I think it was mainly because it was too big for inside, <laughs> but, which was actually great because it attracted a lot of attention. And from that, I received um, a few commissions. And so I didn't ever make it over to Italy. Um, but, and I was still torn as to whether I should actually, you know, go and work for a proper company before setting up on my own because <laughs> I really kind of didn't know, know the first thing about business. Um, so I did go and see another company and show them my folio. And they, they, they offered me a, a sort of a trial period, but said, I really think you should just go for it and see what happens. So I did. And it kind of gave me the confidence. And then on the back of these few commissions that I had for a company called Parallel Media up in London, um, yeah, I sort of, I started off and did kind of all the new business opportunities, accounting courses and, you know, all those kind of things. And I got a, a grant from the Prince's Trust and um, setting up grant from the Crafts Council. Um, and and did, you know. did you make all those initial commissions? Did you make them yourself or have you always outsourced the manufacturing side? Um, no, I didn't. It was kind of because I had the Crafts Council setting up grant. Um, I did eventually set up um, a workshop. It kind of started with the old bandsaw and I started doing bits and pieces. So small commissions through necessity, I did do myself. <clears throat> so for kind of for the first seven years, it was a combination of anything too large for myself or that I was unable to make because I hadn't had proper training as a maker. I'd obviously worked in the workshop, but, you know, making wasn't my main thing. Um, so any of those, I worked with other companies other um, workshops but for small one-off pieces or speculative pieces I could do myself so yeah I kind of muddled on really like that and what there was there a lot of workshops around for you to to choose and to work with back in when when would this have been the early 90s the mid 90s yeah mid 90s really so I launched um, a range of pieces at the first 100% design um where yeah, the, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, where the Chelsea Flower Show is, and that was that was fantastic. It was so vibrant and buzzy, and I don't know. It's it, it's very different now. Things are much more corporate. It was kind of it had a fresh feel, and you felt like anyone could you know get in there and promote themselves as long as the quality was right. Um, so that was that was great, and I reached lots of pub, you know I had loads of publicity, reached the media, met lots of journalists, which I've actually stayed in contact with, um, and that really? kind of and from there that kind of pushed me into the retail side. So I spent a long time investigating whether I could actually supply retailers. So I had um, Heels and Selfridges, a number of independents, um, and I went along and spoke to them and tried to find workshops, but. Working to their margins was just too difficult. I was going to say, what are the margins in furniture? I would imagine they are yeah. as they are in any other department in retail. Yes, they are. And for furniture, I think it's even more difficult to make to those margins. And it soon became apparent because the market is so small and I'm at the top end of the furniture mm. market. It, 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 it really is small. 
to, to you can't ever produce the numbers in order to bring the prices down to meet those margins. So I kind of withdrew back away from that going in that route again. So that's sort of the, uh, we're talking 95, 96 and, and started doing more um, commission work, um, working a bit with interior designers. Um, so who yeah. is your sort of typical client then? Is it um, an interior designer who then specify your work for a, for a project, for a commercial project, or yeah. is it, people that buy your beautiful furniture I mean it would be good actually to describe what your furniture is like I will put some photographs of your wonderful furniture in the show notes for the podcast um but yeah do you want to yeah well actually it's it's interesting because it's it has changed over the years so kind of mid-90s it was as I said it was individuals and um a bit of retail but that kind of died down because of the margins. And but there were a lot more um, kind of developers and uh, public art projects then. Um, so I did quite a lot for um, Southeast Arts and um, yeah, just other developers. And those projects seem to have really died. They, they, there was kind of five years of that really, maybe maybe seven years of that, and then they kind of died down. Um, and I think there was the recession and it did get quite difficult um, and people cut back on that kind of percentage for the art pieces. Um, so, I mean, I've always, I've been criticised for not specialising in one, one area, but on the other hand, it has enabled me to, to kind of, I think, to keep afloat because I can, I do pieces for uh, other companies so I design for others I design one-off pieces for private individuals I can do pieces for corporate clients um, for galleries so the more art pieces Um, and covering all of those I think has kind of meant that I've always got something Um, yeah I mean I think that's a great idea from so many people actually that I've interviewed on this podcast so far um, have said that one of the ways that they have managed to um, maintain and grow their business is by diversifying into different areas because yeah. the market has been so volatile um, for anyone making in the UK over the last couple of decades. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, finding the way that you can make it work. And you have always made everything in the UK, haven't you? Um, yes, yes. Um, and I think also interestingly, I kind of took the, the view from very early on that I was kind of basing my furniture business on a fashion business because I have my ready to wear, which are my product to order, my couture, which are my one-offs and my design for others, which is, you know, is, is how fashion houses traditionally were built on. I don't know whether that's still the case, but I kind of, yeah, that was, that was the view that I took. So um, do you want do you want to describe what your sort of a typical Katie Walker piece of furniture would be? I know you're saying there isn't any typical, but what is what would be your signature piece, and what would it be made from, and what sort of craftsmanship would be involved in making it? Um, I love wood as a material, although I do appreciate all materials because they all have their uses. Um, so it would predominantly be in wood um 
saying it's minimalist isn't quite right, but it doesn't have decoration. It doesn't have additional decoration, really. So it's the form and the structure are the expression of the piece of furniture. So it's quite simple looking, although not always simple to actually make. Um, yeah. I'm very influenced by traditional crafts, but I try and take those and, um, you know, move them into the contemporary, into the now, and, and add, a, add something to that. Um, I mean, I think your furniture has almost got a, I mean, I'm a big mid-century fan, and it has mm. almost got a feel of of a mid-century type of influence to it is that the case yes it does yes yeah it's the same the same um principles and and, and values definitely and wh- when you're um it's not all just wood is it there's, there's upholstery and things like that involved mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. difficult has it been to to keep um the manufacturers that you've been working with or have they changed over the last 20 or so years since you've been running your business have you have some of them you've probably seen some of them closed down or how how has the furniture industry evolved in the last 20 years it's really difficult um it's it's always been really difficult to find good quality workshops um there are so few out there and a number of them have closed down definitely over the last 20 years um yeah you must have quite good relationships with them now though have you been working with some of the same guys for the last 20 or so years actually no there isn't anyone that I've been working with for that long um because really because they've closed yeah and yeah and changed or retired um I have got to know workshops sort of yes gradually and then they've started, as you form a relationship with them, then they will start to work for you who might not have worked with you or for you in the beginning. So it takes a while to to build that up sometimes. Um, because, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, because especially a lot of these workshops are making their own pieces. And for them, obviously, they get much more returns on making those than if they're making for for other people. So... So have yeah. you not ever been tempted to set up a workshop yourself? I know you say you can make some of the simpler pieces. Mm. Have you not ever thought about training up some craftspeople or, or um, finding people that can work with you and setting up your own workshop? What would be the barriers yeah, to doing? I mean, well, I do. I have my own workshop. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but it's essentially uh one-off and prototyping workshops that's down here in Sussex yeah and I I have considered um training yeah taking on apprentices and working with them but it's for me that's like a it's a whole new you know it's a whole extra thing to take on and and I don't feel able to do that I, I wouldn't have the time if I could work with someone else who would then do that then that would be great but at the moment, you know, I'm I'm hard pushed to do the designing. The, you know, I only have kind of help with the the books and the marketing, and you know, I don't. Yeah, of course, yeah. So much to do in in running things. Um, I would need to take someone on to do that. Um, so, what do you enjoy that? doing the most? Is it the the design side of the business? Yes. Or the, yeah. or rather yeah. than the making. Yes, yes, definitely. 
Yeah, I can see how, um, you know, the, the you can tell by the way that your products are designed and they are so beautiful. It must be, um, it's obviously, a, it's a very special skill. It's, I mean, I'm from a textiles background and to me, the designing of furniture is a completely different skill because it's a much more three-dimensional product, isn't it? And I, I mean, does the, the UK... Mm. Do we have a lot of good furniture courses in the UK teaching? Is it a bit like within textiles where we're teaching a lot of people to design um, textiles, but not so many people to make? And is it the same with furniture? Is there's a lot of very high end design courses for furniture, but not so many courses that are teaching people the craft of making furniture? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, there is, because I think I was probably one of the um, the last kind of lot of people that came out of, of furniture courses with workshops and then yeah. they all started to close them down and yeah like, so it makes it just as difficult for you to find people because yeah, they're not training yeah. anyone up yeah it does because everyone want, wants to be a designer and not a maker and I think and even if you do want to be a designer you still really need to kind of get in there and really understand how things how things work and I don't think yeah, I that's so true truly found that out and understood how to design until I had really you know got into the workshop and put things together and felt the weight of things and you know just kind of work with the materials it's different um so um I mean there are again that's where furniture differs doesn't it from textiles in that you have so many different types of materials even you know down to different types of woods and metals and yeah. so many different and I suppose with manufacturing for furniture you get specialists in each type of material is that the case yes you do yeah 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 so do you find the um UK or the British te- um the British furniture industry is is one of collaboration or is it still quite um is it like the textile industry was maybe 10 years ago where it was quite sort of split up and there's, there wasn't really a sort of a sense of a supply chain. It, what's the, what's the current state of the furniture industry? Do you all collaborate? That. Do you speak yeah. to other furniture designers and, and um, workshops? Well, we do, but I, it's really interesting to hear you say about the textile industry sort of nine ten years ago because I don't know what that was like and I don't know how that's differed now not knowing about the textile industry so it'd be great to hear about that but um I mean I think it's like I I have just completed um, a one-off and worked with um Litton Furniture who are owned by Benchmark so there's okay. collaboration I guess in terms of their they've made agreed to make those or that piece for me but it's not we haven't done any we haven't developed any work together um and I think that's more mainly because of having the the time and a kind of a window of opportunity where that would come up I think everyone's so pushed for for um, time yeah Yeah. time and trying to make every penny pay that there there is no longer that time I had an interesting discussion with someone that um worked within the the Italian furniture industry last last year when I was exhibiting at the Chelsea Harbour Design Centre and they were saying well you know a number of these pieces could quite potentially have been taken on by Italian furniture companies in the 80s 
but no one has that spare money to do more elaborate or more elaborate things and, and prototype and actually kind of has the time to put into really um, seeing where you can go with ideas anymore. That's um, a real shame. Isn't it, it, it? It is. I mean, there needs to be something that can, um, that can change that. Otherwise the industry will, will die and it will become so, um, it, it will lose all its innovation. It will. And, and I think yeah, you've, you've already started to see that in, in the big shows over the last few years, if you go around and, and a lot of the products they do, there's a lot of similarity between a lot of products. And I think that's probably a sign of that. Because they're using the same materials, the same molds, they're all copying each other. And um, and yes, finding one idea that sells and everyone's jumping. Yeah, exactly. Back. Exactly. And yeah. also at the moment, there's a lot of, of looking back. So looking back to mid-century modern kind of era. So all mm. of the seventies, the designers then, because we know it sells, we know it's fashionable at the moment. It's, it's, it's kind of more of a safe bet to dig out more designs by those designers and produce those than it is to back new ideas. So who do you think is doing it well? Where is the innovation? Apart from yourself, where is the innovation happening? I'm very small and kind of, you know, tiny, tiny and on the fringes. So I don't really kind of count myself in that. In that. So, um, so which shows do you do? Are there any shows out there that you can recommend to people um, who want to go and see great furniture yeah, designing? Well, yeah, again, that's really difficult because I've kind of fallen off that bandwagon you know it's like when 100% design started I did that on and off sort of for about seven years and and then it it sort of changed and became larger and more corporate and didn't seem to quite I wasn't getting the returns from it and I knew the 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 um press people that went around so that you know did it just wasn't paying and they're so hugely expensive um mm. so so now for me I tend to try and do kind of just the, the small the small shows that um are linked to maybe um sort of like with a worshipful company of furniture makers and they had the evolution of tradition at the Chelsea Harbour Design Centre last year just kind of diff, slightly different things so you mentioned the um worship do you say the worshipful company of furniture makers oh, or actually I think they've dropped the worshipful now I think they're just the furniture <laughs> makers company <laughs> there's not there's still quite a lot of worshipful companies in the textile industry um <laughs> worshipful company of weavers right so the furniture makers company so they're, they're an old livery company are they yeah, the city yes of yes yeah and do they provide some support to designers um in some sort of ways you mentioned that they do a show um they have they have guild marks so they award you can submit pieces to be awarded at either a design guild mark or a bespoke guild mark and that that can comes with you know with that comes with publicity um and yeah, sort of a stamp of approval. Ah, um, and that's done per piece of furniture rather than per designer or company that's made the furniture? Yeah, per piece of furniture, yeah. Oh, wow. So have you got any of your pieces that have got that guild mark? Yes, um, my Windsor Rock has got a design guild mark and um, I've got my ribbon rocking chair, my wait-and-see mirror, Marilyn table, um, and there are a few Brilliant. other pieces that have got the, the bespoke guild marks. So that's that's a nice bit of publicity. But direct support, um, 
they they do have a charity arm so they can help um they help with families that work within the furniture industry that come into difficulties you know or, or hit hard times and there's a um, right the money to help those but in terms of furniture designers there's there's, <laughs> there's nothing like that for them <laughs> well i like the, the 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 fact about the uh, the mark that's really interesting so what mm. do you have to what does your product have to do or be in order to qualify for that mark does it have to be manufactured in the uk do you know that's really interesting um because there's the british know, furniture there's a British Furniture Makers Association, isn't there? Yeah. But you don't have to make 100% of your furniture in the UK to be a member of their organisation. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to look into that because I don't know whether it actually has to be made in the UK. Oh, well, let me know if you find out because I can <laughs> yeah. pop the criteria for it um, in the show notes. Because yeah. I think that's interesting. Because there's also, I mean, that's interesting that you have that sort of mark. That there's um, there's talk of you know that sort of thing happening within other industries as well. I mean, I know the ceramics industry have mm. a you can't put made in England on the on the um, base of ceramics if they're not fired in the in England okay. for the first firing. There's actually actually a legal rule that they brought in, which I think is really interesting. So, um, yeah, I wonder what their criteria Make is. Make It British that. doesn't have a stamp, does it? Not yet, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. No, maybe at some point. <laughs> um, so what is the best thing about making your furniture in the UK and why do you still choose to do that, Katie? Oh, because I think um, it's the most ecological way forward I think I, I don't know it just seems much more sensible to keep everything as local as possible and and to try if you if you can keep everything working as close to home as possible and everyone did that then hopefully everything would work yeah, exactly. simplistic, but, <laughs> but the Italians do it don't they because I mean I also did a stint working out in Italy um, and the Italians will still buy Italian wine, Italian leather goods. Um, same goes for Germany, buying, you know, German cars. Yes. And, um, and yeah, the British don't seem to be so keen to make sure they buy British furniture. No, I think, I think it's going to, it's got to go that way though, hasn't it? Everything it has, I think it's got to return to that. Um, yeah, definitely. You've not ever been tempted to take your production overseas anywhere. On my, in my more desperate moments, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then I would imagine that the cost of furniture manufacturing in Europe is the much difference between making it in the UK because by the time you shipped it... Well, that's that's the problem, isn't it, with furniture? It's so bulky and the shipping costs are so huge that unless you're doing it in large volumes... Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you, so, yeah, you can't really gain. So I think for small volumes... Um, you have to concentrate on the kind of producing really high quality, having really flexible um, workshops so you can produce, you know, vary your production to suit, um, which hopefully CNC um, should enable, you know, make, make it should make it simpler. Do you um, want to explain to people what CNC is? In case so computer, yeah, computer um, controlled 
routing equipment to make parts should mean that once you've got those components programmed into it, that you should be able to swap over and produce, you know, sort of 20 of this or or 100 of that or whatever, much sort of much easier than 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 before hopefully i think people are moving over to that yeah so. definitely so automation a bit like it's helping a lot of other manufacturing in the uk exactly the technology exactly. and automation yes. yeah the more efficient yeah. it can become and 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 therefore you know the easier it is to make back in the uk again exactly. I mean, there are a lot of big contract furniture manufacturers in the uk aren't there um particularly up north we've got a lot of bed manufacturers here Mm. Um, and there's people like, oh, the name has escaped. Actually, someone I know works for a company called HSL Chairs, and they make all their chairs in um, Yorkshire. Oh, I don't know them. I'll look them up. <laughs> yeah, I think they're reclining chairs for old grannies. I hope I haven't got that wrong because I have offended <laughs> him. Um, I've been meaning to go up there and visit him because I know they make a lot. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So there is quite a lot of, you know, that sort of furniture made here and there's yeah, a lot of I think there seems bed. to be a big gap doesn't there between the kind of um as he said the kind of uh, without calling it chairs but old grannies but you know the kind of the lower end there's larger production facilities for those but we don't have like in Italy or Scandinavia where we've got um kind of mid-sized workshops that have superb equipment but the pieces are still made with such a high level of craftsmanship we're kind of a bit behind in that respect and yeah, that's interesting so in that in that way it's the opposite to the textile industry which has lost a lot of its mass manufacturing but has kept a lot of its high-end small batch and small quantities right so what are your plans for katie walker going forward well, just I'm just <laughs> I'm just adding. I'm always refining and adding to my um, my kind of ready to wear range, my product to order range, and um, I hope that I'll do more with um, other furniture companies. Um, so, what does your what does your typical day look like as a furniture designer? I don't. Yeah, I really don't have a typical day because sometimes I might be going out to see clients or I might be going to another workshop or designing or I'll just be in the workshop you know machining or yeah it's they're so every day is so different um that's one of the joys for working for yourself it is it it is yeah I mean I've got (laughs) I've got so um I have some the top end pieces so the ribbon rocking chairs at the new art center rush court with um Madeline Bespera, and they're taking some of those over to Art Brussels at the end of um, April. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I designed a range called Levity for Gaze Burville, um, who are outdoor furniture, our outdoor furniture company. Um, and they're um, showing uh, the latest edition of that at the Chelsea Flower Show in May. So they're, com- they're quite different, but um, just, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Both really, really exciting to, to to design for. So yeah. Brilliant. Well, it's been really lovely talking to you, Katie. Really, really lovely to talk to you. And um, I will put links to where people can find you in the show notes of the podcast. Do you want to just? 
give us wh- which is the best place for people to find you is it via your website or on social media uh, oh gosh yeah social media is one of those things that i have not got very <laughs> I've, really, I've really no got worries. to do no something one's judging you so yes um that's on my list of things to do um but um yes so apwalkerfurniture.com best place to see some pieces which is usually not that up to date but has enough on it and and i will yeah brilliant Brilliant. no don't don't feel you need to now jump on instagram (laughs) just because i've asked you for where your social media channel to find you on (laughs) oh brilliant really lovely to talk to you katie thank you very much yeah no thank you it's yeah it's great thank you for listening to the make it british podcast I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.